0: Okay, ladies. Let's let's get this show on the road. Does everyone have their little book? I promise you. uh, March 1. We keep putting off the the publication of the new book. But just know if you bought this book, you will get a free new updated version. uh, And it is supposed to be out, I believe, mid-February. Um, but anyways welcome to our cottage meeting it is like the first day back first day of the new year so glad to see all of you i thought about you over the break i've wondered how your holidays were my name is julene jackson and i oversee the cottage meetings for moms for america vivian coming from san antonio does our behind the scenes work she's our mom links manager and we're so glad to have you here i'm a mama five children ages 26 on down to um, 14. I've attended or taught cottage meetings for over 13 years and I know how transformative they are because I was transformed as a mother. It changed my marriage, it changed the way we taught our children. So I'm so glad that you have found us and and understand the value of gathering together to learn principles of liberty and freedom. We are into our 11th cottage meeting, like I mentioned, and it is on teaching our children and our grandchildren the principles of self-reliance. so great to be back with you today. I hope everyone, first of all, had a great Christmas. I don't know if some of you, oh, oh, dear Lord, please bless those that might be sick. Please watch over them and heal them. Um, I, I hope that you weren't ill over the holiday season. I know with Omicron, a lot of people are, are having flu-like symptoms and um, COVID and, or whatever you want to call it. I mean, this typically would be a flu season and sickness would prevail. And so I hope your Christmases, uh, you know, you might've had small affairs because, you know, there was some illness or you maybe you had a big spread. We had a big spread actually, but to be honest with you, I believe I did have COVID um, the first couple of weeks of summer, just now getting my taste and smell back. But uh, I really was able to work through it. I, t- I taught and I did everything I needed to do. I, st- I tried to stay home, but I, I am aware of some people in the cottage meeting whose spouses or they themselves have had to be hospitalized and that's a scary thing. But uh, so far, everyone I've known that's had to been hosp- hospitalized uh, has, has recovered. And the wonderful thing is we're building our immunity and we're, we're getting those wonderful antibodies. Uh, and so um, we might be in a world where we have to live with uh, variations and strains of COVID. And, uh, and so anyways, whew, bring on 2022. So it is the new year. Uh, Viv, do let's have our first slide here. Now in our family, the law of the harvest um, just keep it here, Beth. In our family, every year at the beginning of the new year, we have a little family special family devotional in the evening uh, where we set goals or resolutions uh, for the new year. And we call it our vision boards. And um, this year I came across this little quote that I read to the kids on Sunday night. I wish I would have taken some pictures. All four out of my five kids, adult kids were all there. We had our little lesson and they all got on the floor and I gave them all poster boards and markers and they were writing their little goals. And I'll show you how we did that. But I heard the other day, this quote, this let the size of your God determine the size of your goal. A tiny God will be a tiny goal. A big God will be a big goal. No God will be no goal. And it kind of reminds me, um, and, and when I say, when I think it means here, let the size of your faith, if you have you know, a little bit of faith, maybe your vision will be a little smaller. Maybe you'll, you'll be more negative or um, pessimistic. And uh, um, let's see that next slide. It reminds me of that scripture in Proverbs where there is no vision, the people perish. And so when you have God and your faith is strong, you think much bigger, you know, he is a God of miracles. And with God, all things are impo- are possible. And so you began to, to visualize and, and to think bigger than, you know, you might otherwise would if you're only relying on the news to, to determine, you know, your future. So Viv, let's see the next slide. So these are just some pictures. Of our vision boards that we make. And so, what we do is in years past, we've taken a poster board and we divide it into nine sections and we cut out pictures from magazines. And then uh, we would hang these vision boards right in our bedrooms where we can look at them every single day and visualize what it's going to take to achieve our goals. So, I made my husband, he likes to cut out the pictures. The last few years, We have been dividing our poster board into four areas, spiritual, physical, intellectual, and social. And they write a few little goals underneath, and then they tack them up in their room, and they look at these vision boards. So I've done this for years with our kids, and we have had some remarkable things. Uh, occur as they have put things in their vision boards and they have they have come to pass and because of this every single one of my children believe in these vision boards and you know what I really want their vision boards and these areas these goals to do is to align their vision and their goals with God to really let your goals set the intention that You want to achieve these goals. So, not only can you improve, but it will improve the ability to serve God and to serve other people. And I really do believe as our vision expands to to grow and progress and to do things that we might, you know, really wonder if it is in us. As we begin to, and every day as you look at this vision board and you, and you think, let's see, how, am I working on this? And, and the whole idea is, and there's data and, and research behind these vision boards, that if you will um, look at it for two to three minutes every day, you will manifest, you will begin to just know and understand when opportunities are presenting themselves to move forward in, in, with some of these goals. And, and as you do this, I have to think your hope and your confidence will rise because you, you understand that, you know, if you're really trying to follow God, that he will bless and he will multiply you as it says in the scriptures, and he will allow you to do those things, which you desire. If if you say, I want to do it for your glory, God, because we are his sons and daughters, and he has a work for us to do. And so I told the kids, I want you to be powerful kids. What is your work that God wants you to do in 2022? And so it was was a lot of fun. So as we're now nearing, we're going to switch into our lesson now. As we're nearing our last lesson, second to the last lesson, I hope as we've discussed the last 10 lessons that the spirit has began to prick your heart uh, as to how you might be able to implement some of these teachings and these lessons and, and instill some of these patterns of Liberty in your home and beyond how these, these principles you're learning is expanding your vision of what you might be able to do within the four walls of your home or in your neighborhoods or communities or schools. So you know, for for those that have you know now met, and I believe uh, a lot of you have been so consistent and stayed with us from the beginning. I think we you can tell that as you we've heard each other share and participate. You've grown in friendship and and really love and affection for each other. Imagine if you would have a cottage meeting in your home. If this was your eleventh meeting. 11 months of meeting with the same women they would be your sisters and I really feel like you are my sisters even though you're spread across the country the power of mothers and grandmothers the sisterhood that we feel in an online setting just this morning I was texting one of my friends from a cottage meeting I participated in for oh gosh seven eight years in Utah and uh and i just went with those sisters of liberty that's the name that they call themselves Uh, that's the cottage meeting in utah i just went with a group of them to egypt i mean i have remained dear friends with the women in the cottage meetings in oregon that i attended in utah and so you know uh, there's a bond and a sisterhood that you share as well uh in these cottage meetings So it's the beginning of the new year, so we're uh, studying the Bible from the beginning in our little family devotional, and we're talking about Adam and Eve and the creation. So we have three kids at home right now, because normally we just have two, a senior in high school and an eighth grader, but our 21-year-old daughter, who is here from college, has uh, the college starts next week for her, so she's been here a whole month, and she's been able to get in on the family devotionals again. And, uh, we talked about Adam and Eve last night and how we are daughters of Eve and women. I just want to remind you, we are daughters of Eve, the mother of all living. She's called in the, in the scriptures and those creative powers that she has are within us. And I hope as you're calling upon God in your prayers, to, to seek for ways that you can shore up and protect and teach your loved ones. And, and as you do so, I hope you're feeling the heavens are endowing you with new ideas and inspiration to lead out in your home and your neighborhoods. And this is a part, women, of your divine creative powers to know how to teach and to organize and to plan and to improve and to strengthen and to beautify these creative powers are within us because we are the daughters of Eve. You know, I've heard it been said that look, these are critical times, and we all kind of know that that the preservation of our posterity moving forward really depends upon what we're willing to do right now. Someone said to me, "This is not a drill, Jaleen. We need parents and grandparents of courage who are willing to learn." and to teach and stand up and to push back. And this is who you are. You show up each week. You are these parents of courage because we know that the enemies of American freedom are upon us. And, and more importantly, more urgently upon our children and our grandchildren. And we're seeing young people today, their fear levels are ratcheting up. or They're having more anxiety and, and mental you know, instability and addictions and I just read in the post yesterday that 2021 marks record year for school closings because of violence. There was there was 3,400 students were exposed to gun violence. I think it was 42 incidences of students showing up at school, shooting their peers. Our children are really suffering right now. And one of the tools to reclaim our families and our children and our homes and our schools and nation will be education, the inspired principles of faith and virtue and freedom and liberty and the constitution. Remember, that was our last lesson two and a half weeks ago, the constitution, teaching our children the constitution, learning the constitution. These ideals and principles really will be the weapons, so to speak, that we will use to restore and reclaim our homes and our schools. So our lesson today, number 11, the law of harvest is especially important. The law of harvest is the idea of self-reliance, okay? Reaping what we sow. What are we harvesting? The, um, this idea of self-reliance can especially be a foreign concept to this rising generation of young people who have gotten used to feeling like they're entitled that, you know, the government should take care of me or they should intervene or they should solve our problems. There are our children, we are teaching them. And this has happened for generations. And we'll explain how this has come to pass to be passive learners, to just believe and accept and do what you're told sit there and we will teach you for six hours my kids call those people sheeple sheeple they're like little sheep they're people <laughs> they just do we you know if it says if someone on tv says that this is the truth then they believe it as the truth Viv, let's see um, the next slide and i believe it's uh, i want you to go not this slide but the next slide Let's, let's move it to one more. And then I'm going to have you go back to Timothy in a minute. Thanks. Um, Thomas Jefferson said, a government big enough to give you everything you want is a government big enough to take away everything you have. Wow. That was prophetic, Thomas Jefferson. A government big enough to give you everything you want, take care of me, solve my problems, tell me what to do, is a government big enough to now therefore tell you. What you can and cannot do. So we're going to discuss also principles today about uh, how the burden of debt is destructive to freedom and what is the proper role of government. Are they to provide, you know, things for us? No, they're to provide equal opportunities or equal rights, but not equal things. Self and family reliance helps us escape Government dependency, and boy, aren't we seeing this grow now? This idea that the government will come in and solve the problem. When free people truly understand these principles of independence and economics, they will have their needs met, and they will gain prosperity through their own labors. So, Viv, let's see that uh, slide that we skipped over uh, about scripture from First Timothy in the New Testament that says. But if any, if any provide not for his own and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Now, I had to look up infidel because so I'm like, what's infidel again? It's someone who doesn't believe, doesn't believe in Christianity, doesn't believe in religion. It's a, it's a disbeliever. So this is a pretty scathing um, warning that if you do not take care of your own, you are worse and deny the faith. You are worse than an infidel. All right. So once again, if you're used to looking to government to solve your problem and not looking to God, to be your deliverer, that is deeply offensive to God, you know, instead of, you know, asking him to help you to know how you're going to provide for your children or to help a wayward child or Uh, you go to a government program or, you know, what someone on TV tells you, that is very offensive. You are worse than an infidel. Okay. So truly as we go through our, our lesson today, hopefully you'll realize the most effective department of health and education and welfare for this nation begins in the home. So I I would I wish I could show you this little video that is getting ready to be filmed by our president Kimberly Fletcher in Chicago. It's entitled uh, "When the Cold Wind Blows," and it's uh, it's a really story interesting little story. You know how sometimes we show little videos in our cottage meetings, and these are videos that you could also show in cottage meetings in your home. But Kimberly Fletcher tells the story about uh, two years ago when COVID hit, she ran to the grocery store to get some common household themes, and everything in the grocery store was completely wiped out. And maybe you, you had that experience as well. And she said it reminded her of a story that she had read a few years earlier about a rancher who was looking for a ranch hand to help around the ranch. But unfortunately, it was a really busy uh, time of the year for farmers and ranchers. And so there just weren't a lot of ranch hands available. So he was interviewing a ranch hand and he asked him, you know, if he had experience in ranching. And um, this man that he was interviewing said, oh, yeah, I I can sleep when the cold wind blows. I, I can sleep when the cold wind blows. And the rancher who was interviewing him said, huh, yeah, I, I mean, I want someone who can work really hard, not think about sleeping when you know the storm rolls in. So he, he didn't hire him. But then he got so desperate because he couldn't find anyone. He brought this man on and guess what? This man turned out to be an outstanding worker. And one day a storm did uh, arise up and, uh, you know, the rancher who owned the ranch woke up he, and, and he ran out to get the ranch hand to help him. And he could not wake this ranch hand up. And so he was like disgusted. So he hurried and ran out to the fields to go get the horse to bring him into the barns and latch up the barns and tack down the hay. And it had all been done. It had already been taken care of. And then that rancher remembered. The words that that ranch man had spoken when he went to hire him. I can sleep when the cold wind blows. And the rancher then knew what that ranch hand meant. That every night that ranch hand had prepared for the storm, not knowing when it was going to come, but knowing when it did, he would be prepared. I really like that story. And so Kimberly goes on to say, look you know, the time to look for hand sanitizer is not when everybody's running to the store, you know, or to flashlights or batteries, but that it was probably a good time for all of us two years ago when COVID really hit and things began to shut down to really assess how prepared am I? Do I have supplies on hand that I could live in my house for a few weeks, for a few months? So Kimberly goes on to tell the story of uh, her husband was military of some military friends that were stationed at Kessler Air Air Force Base in Louisiana when Hurricane Katrina hit. And um, when it hit, all these military families showed up at the Air Force base with really nothing but the clothes on their backs. They didn't even bring water or food bottles. I mean, Mamas, she said, just brought a couple of bot- or you know, uh, bottles and, and diapers to last the day. And they thought that the government was going to provide for them. And how shocked they were when they realized that the only place they had was a small little room with a few bunk beds and a few blankets. And um, this friend who relayed this story to Kimberly said that, you know, we can't count on the government to take care of us. It's really not the job of the government. And if you look at FEMA, uh, or prepare.gov online you'll see a list of things they tell us that we need to do to be prepared that we need to you know prepare to take care of ourselves and certainly I think COVID has got us thinking about how can I better prepare myself so you know after you watch this video it would be interesting to have a discussion with your cottage meetings you know that what did that ranch hand do and what did the people who endured hurricane Katrina, not do? (laughs) What is the difference between how you can uh, adapt to a, a storm, an unexpected storm in our life? You know, God has commanded us to work by the sweat of our brow in Genesis. And he's also told us, look, I want you to enjoy the fruits of your labor, but I want you to prepare every needful thing for whatever lies ahead. Let's see what God does say in the scriptures about self-reliance. Viv, can we see that next slide? In Jeremiah 29.5, the Lord tells us that we should build our houses and plant our gardens and eat the fruit thereof. Okay, connotating, I want you to work. I want you to take care of yourself. In the New Testament, Hebrews 11.7, we're reminded that it was by faith that Noah built the ark. When there was not a rain cloud in sight or when Abraham left his homeland journeying into the, the new prom, the promised land, obeying not really knowing where he should go. And in Genesis 41 31 through 47 it talks it tells us um, how Pharaohs ta- uh, you know stored up food for seven years under Joseph of Egypt's leadership. Viv, let's see the next slide. I actually want to quote a scripture uh, from Genesis in 41, the next slide. So, um, anyways, it's in the manual. It says in Genesis 41:36, and that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. So, God was commanding, you know, anciently the Egyptians to store up for times of famine. And indeed, in um that next uh chapter or a few chapters later in 47 the famine did come and it's such an interesting story to me in 47 because when the famine came there were those Egyptians and Hebrews that were not prepared and they were so desperate for food that they sold all their cattles their horses it says even their homes just so they could get bread from the government grain to make bread and um I'm sure they became wards of the state at that point because they were not prepared this. Don't you think God is warning us? And and then both those um, references in Ecclesiastes, it says uh, the Lord is telling us to eat and drink the, the good of our labor, that it's a gift from God, that God wants us to enjoy and own our labor and to be able to take care and to benefit and to be blessed by it. So, you know, the question might be asked as we go through those verses in the Bible you know, what does God instruct us about work and self-reliance and, and how is he warning us for future famine or hardship and what is the Lord commanding us to do? You know, our founding fathers embraced this principle of self-reliance and basically it means self self-reliance is Okay, babe, you can take the, that slide off for a minute. Basically self-reliance means that look, we provide for ourselves and for our families. But we still generously help others. I mean, that's very clear in the scripture. But government dependency was something that the founders were very opposed to. And they actually fought against it because they recognized that government dependency comes with a price. It comes with loss of freedom and it can lead and it does lead to tyranny and oppression. Do you feel like you're seeing that? The more we rely on government, the more we put ourselves and our family in danger of suffering if the government cannot or does not deliver the things that we have come to count on. Uh, two days ago in the Post, they had a big headline story of a little mama with a baby, another little toddler saying that she wasn't going to be able to make it if they stopped that uh, child care tax credit that for the last six months, maybe maybe you, maybe some of your loved ones have been receiving a couple hundred dollars for every child. My sister said, Jalene, I have been getting for the last, I guess, six months, I think she'd even gotten some before during COVID. She's been getting $550 a month for two children. And she said, one of our brothers gets $1,000 a month something they didn't even ask for. The government just mailed it to them. And now this story in the article is saying, I can't live unless I, I, you know, I've come to count on this tax care credit and, you know, what panic and bondage she must feel, you know, as she's gotten used to this government dependency. And so um, there's an interesting article uh, in our supplemental material entitled... Um, let's let's flip to it. The Pilgrim Experiment. If you have your book, flip to uh, the Pilgrim Experiences supplemental material under Lesson Eleven. From the very beginning, our nation has been uh, unique because people who have come here have come seeking a better life. It was a place where new things could be tried, and the survival of the colonists who came here depended on trying new things. It was really the pilgrims in 1620 who first introduced the concept of freedom to America. So in a sense, they really discovered it. One might wonder what was the difference between that 1620 Plymouth colony in Massachusetts that we call today uh, versus the Jamestown colony, the Jamestown in Virginia, Williamsburg area that came about 13 years previously who, you know, struggled with want and starvation for so many years beyond what the, the, the Plymouth colony did and, and couldn't seem to get along with their Indian neighbors the way the, the pilgrims did. And um, one of it is their purpose for coming. You, you know, the Jamestown colonists in Virginia came seeking gold by the order of the king, but the pilgrims came seeking freedom, freedom to live according to the dictates of their own conscience. And for that, um, the uh, for uh, that purpose, you begin to see a real difference. So they both both sets of of colonists, you know, the Jamestown versus the Plymouth, um, came from England, but and and so they were used to that feudal system, of you know, a few heads being in charge of everything and, and telling everyone else what to do, but that didn't work. Uh, here in America, because if everyone didn't work, everyone was going to starve. And and so what began to happen, um, the pilgrims struggled but not uh, as long because the answer was human energy. What was their motivation to rise up and and give it their all? and fight for their life well the first thing was when the pilgrims in 1620 landed they did build a common house where all the people could in common um worship and uh and no one at this point owned anything but it was the community that owned everything and and in a sense it was the first form of christian communism okay and uh, but the, it didn't it 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 didn't work. This communal idea began to not be able to sustain the colony. And William Bradford, who was the governor of the colony, wrote in his journal, the result of this Christian communism that they were practicing, where he said, all of a sudden, you know, these able-bodied men who um, were perfectly fit to work began to complain that why were they expected to spend time and energy working for some other man's uh, family or without compensation and some of the women began to feign sickness and there suddenly became an outbreak epidemic of bad backs among the men because everyone was receiving an equal portion of foods and goods regardless of how much work. So regardless of how much work the the, uh, little pilgrims were putting in, why work any harder when everyone got the same amount of, you know, uh, back? And so what Bradford did is he's like, I'm I'm going to uh, do away with this idea of collectivism. And I'm going to, uh, obviously this idea of socialism gave them no incentive to be creative and industrious and to work harder, so he um, gave everyone their own piece of land, private property rights. And oh, all of a sudden, woo, there was a sudden robust and release of human energy that proved to all the Europeans that, oh, wait a minute, maybe you really can survive and make a good home in America. And it was the first experiment of Christian capitalism. And it was a huge success that you know, they immediately began to realize that, you know, your family begins to benefit when you can own your own labor, when you can own your own home or your own property, it becomes then success and work becomes a very personal. Being a matter of the heart. This quote from um, a German poet and playwright, this very famous uh, German poet that actually uh, lived around the time of the founding fathers, 1749, said, "If everyone swept his own porch, the whole town <laughs> would be clean." Now, I, I liked, I like that. But you know, while Jamestown continued for decades to have to rely on Europe for supply ships for their survival, Plymouth actually became a source of supplies for Europe, Europe. It was, it was the success of Plymouth that ultimately, and not the, not the establishment of Jamestown is what initiated and began to initiate the great Puritan migration to this new world leading to rapid colonization of America. And it was literally a matter of their hearts. So in the supplemental material, maybe we can take that slide up now. In the supplemental material, it talks about how we're having an energy crisis here in America, a human energy crisis where our founders intended that we, the people, would be the ones to govern ourselves and to produce and create. But today we are having a serious lack of production and creation and governing on our part. And it's because we've lost our incentive. It's no longer personal. Our human energy is the energy output from the heart, and too many hearts have become cold because we've gotten used to someone else telling us what to do, someone else figuring it out. We see that uh, when COVID hit, people were making more on unemployment than they were on the job. So, you know, um, businesses had a hard time, you know, staffing their positions because everyone was soaking in the unemployment benefits. You think of young people in college. How many of them default on their student loans, and uh, because they don't have to pay for school, they just get a, a big fat loan. And and you know, and they're even talking about the government is going to wipe wipe clean their loans. So why even graduate from college? Oh, it was a it, you know, I, I didn't like it after you've taken 30000 dollars in loan. Um, it's interesting at church. I had a conversation uh, last Sunday with a woman who is soon to retire she was an attorney and she just went uh, back um, to be a paraeducator for this last year before she retires. And she said, "Julie," and she's a liberal woman. Uh, All my friends in DC, a lot of them are. And she said, um, and I love her. I love her. I do. But she said, kids in the school systems, and she had a hard time actually getting the word out. But Basically, she said that children are having an inferior, ed- inferior education experience because the teachers don't want to come back t- to school. And so, you know, we ha- we're having to scramble and get subs, but, you know, subs aren't coming in because they're getting sick. And she said, oftentimes each, you know, it's, it's been very common this year that she'll be given two minute notice that she has to teach uh, a certain grade that day. And she said, just imagine what quality. (laughs) And I said, subpar. And she nodded her head. Education that these kids are getting because people are able to get paid whether they show up to work or not. And so, you know, as previously stated, there is a correlation between human energy and the heart. Now, when your heart is full of truth and virtue and the beauty kind of outpouring from the energy Uh, you know, of your talents and the choices that you make. It's a reflection of where your heart is. When you're inspired by art and music and the recognition of truth, you have a greater desire to want to be better, to work harder. And it kind of reminds me of our vision boards. You know, we're envisioning improvement. We're envisioning progress in our life. We're envisioning doing bigger things than we've ever done before. Uh, On the other hand, uh, when you see a decrease um in human energy the opposite of an increase is a decrease and what what happens there is is you begin to deter and depress and discourage people and when things um when things are present the energy output of the heart decreases and we see a rise in depression and anger and selfishness and greed and apathy and shame and so many adjectives that i feel like we're seeing in society today when people this is fascinating listen to this when people are governed by fear fear they are reacting to their external environment they become more irritable explosive Oversensitive, and we see an increase in addictions, obsessions, and greed. Woo! That sounds <laughs> that sounds like a lot of people that I associate with in Washington, D.C. And, see- and we're seeing that. We're seeing that in schools as well, with more incidences of violence and emotional instability uh, within our children. Viv, let's see uh, the next slide. George Bernard Shaw, he was an Irish uh, playwright. Uh, uh, he lived to 96 from 1850 to about 1950 1856 he said liberty means responsibility that is why most people dread it it's almost easier to sit back and be told what to do and just allow our fears and our emotions to get the best of us but wait for the next order rather than to roll up our sleeves do what it takes to get ourselves healthy and strong and, and able to go out there and to be a part of the solution, not the problem. Viv, let's see that next slide. So I really like this uh, quote here in the supplemental material. Now, David Starr Jordan was the president of, he was the founder of Stanford, that very prestigious uh, Ivy League school, Stanford University in California. And this is what he said. He uh, was the president from 1851, Uh, actually he lived from 1851 to 1931, but was the founding um, founder of Stanford University. He said, if the experiment of government by the people is to be successful, it is you and and such as you who must make it so. The future of the Republic must lie in the hands of the men and the women of culture and intelligence, of self-control and of self-resource, capable of taking care of themselves and of helping others. If it falls not into such hands, the Republic will have no future. The problem of life is not to make life easier, but to make men stronger so that no problem shall be beyond their solution. The remedy for oppression is to bring in better men who cannot be oppressed. Wow. Those are like fighting words. I love this. The remedy. Are we feeling oppressed right now in this country by mandates and what is coming out of Washington, D.C. or even, you know, governors of certain states? The uh, solution is to bring in better men who cannot be oppressed. And I think those are men and women that understand the principles of liberty and freedom and can speak with authority and strength. And so um, so let's go and let's talk about some of these principles and the promises of the Constitution and our 5,000-year leap. So uh, let's see the next slide. In the promises of the Constitution that has these great vignettes on, on uh, subjects that you can just teach one page a day to your children. In sections 12.3 and 12.13, it talks about how godless philosophies have have created dependence in America. And if you go through the Healing of America seminars, you will learn about um, educators, uh, Horace Mann and John Dewey. And they were some of the fathers of modern day education, and they were atheists. And they advocated that we needed to replace traditional or religious or biblical instruction. That the standard uh, uh, should be the beliefs of men and not the word of God. And under their leadership, uh, Bible reading and prayer was taken out of the schools in the uh, 1900s. John Dewey, one of uh, these um, education reformers actually said, there is no God and there is no soul. Truth is dead, and it's buried. There is no room in education for moral absolutes, and they introduce this whole idea of situational ethics. Depending on the situation, will depend on how to handle uh, the, you know. And there is no right or wrong, and that certainly has been removed from education in our uh, universities and in our public school systems. Now, most Americans agree that in the classrooms, it's pretty much free of religious instruction. But it's, uh, they are free of Christian moral instruction, but secular humanism and anti-God curriculum has uh, incorporated and, and, and much of, uh, you know, and that's what you could call uh, critical race theory or social and emotional um, learning ideas that there have been implementing into our school systems for years. Parents up until this point have been marginally involved in the decisions about their children's education but we're starting to see, and especially during COVID, uh, parents are rising up and realizing their education of their children is subpar. And unless they supplement that child in the home, and you can do that in a family devotional morning or night, or pull them out and ha- homeschool them or put them in pods or co-ops or that kind of thing. So um In uh, uh, vignette 1213, it talks about when we began to have a decline in public virtue, when we took God and religion and Bible reading out of the schools, it began to spawn this entitlement mentality. And boy, we're seeing that full-fledged with young people today. That's such an interesting um, 1213. I I would really recommend going back and reading it. So what are the principles uh, that we were able to prosper well, that's found in vignette one six that under the Constitution, our founding fathers planned for prosperity for all Americans. That real prosperity, in a sense, was a, a sense of well-being and a pattern of life where people were content and and, and they were able to gain uh, and own their labor. And um, the role of the national government was not to atone for disasters. And to take care uh, of people, but it was the principles within the Constitution that provided a stable environment for people to safely operate. And that allowed them to try to buy, to sell and to fail. these these free market uh, economic principles embedded in the Constitution. And once again, I'd really recommend um, going back and listening to the Healing of America seminar to the Constitution from the viewpoint of the founding fathers. And what has happened, the attack on that constitution in seminar three, and you can listen to all the recordings. They're all on our website or my husband and I teach the healing of America seminars. We're right in the middle of seminar three, three, and we we'll would talk about, you know, the attacks on the constitution and these prosperity uh, principles and prosperity economic principles embedded in the constitution. But under these principles in the constitution are America even though we had 6% of the world's population within 100 years of living under the principles of the constitution, we were producing over 50% of the world's wealth. So these principles, these economic principles worked. And as we, got, as we have gotten away from them, we're not doing so well. We're, we got a 30,000 or $30 trillion, you know, debt right now. So let's look at the uh, principles that apply to our lesson today. Bib, let's see that next slide uh, from the 5,000-year leap. Principle number seven says, the proper role of government is to protect equal rights, but not to provide equal things. When calamities hit, we got to take care of and make sure everyone's lifestyle is back up to normal. This is a fascinating chapter to read. Principle number seven Here's my little 5,000 year leap. I really recommend reading principle number seven. Benjamin Franklin actually wrote his views uh, on taking care of, you know, uh, the poor. And he called it his views on counterproductive compassion is what he called it, counterproductive compassion. Now, our founders knew that, you know, we had an obligation under God to help our brothers and to help those that, you know, needed it and that were underprivileged. But he's Benjamin Franklin, and actually a lot of these ideas have been pulled from the writings of the founders. He said it was counterproductive. It wasn't compassion. He has four points here, Benjamin Franklin. When you give uh, compassion, which gives a drunk the means to increase his drunkenness is counterproductive. Number two, compassion, which breeds debilitating dependency and weakness is counterproductive. Number three, compassion, which blunts the desire or necessity to work for a living is counterproductive. This is Benjamin Franklin saying this. And number four, compassion, which smothers the instincts to strive and to excel is counterproductive. Benjamin Franklin goes on to say, look, you know, it goes against the order of God, he calls it to support laziness or folly. God intended for there to be consequences of idleness or excessive extravagance. So he goes on to talk about this calculated compassion. And and these are highlights from the writings of the, uh, the founding fathers that calculated compassion is helping, not helping the needy completely, but helping them to help themselves. Number two, so this is all in the 5,000-year leap principle number seven. I really recommend reading it. That calculated compassion is giving the poor the satisfaction of earned achievement and allowing them, number three, to climb the appreciation ladder from tents to cabins, from cabins to cottages to cottages to comfortable homes. And that when, um, when emergency help is provided, it shouldn't be prolonged to the point where it becomes habitual And lastly, there was the scale of fixed responsibility that they felt that first and foremost, the level of responsibility should first occur at with the individual. And secondly, if that individual needs help, then you go to the family, and then uh, then you go to the church, then you go to the community, and finally the county uh, or the state. And so, I thought that was so interesting that they understood that, you know, compassion, there is a counterfeit to God's compassion. And it is, uh, they called it counterproductive compassion versus a calculated, really a true, sincere compassion. So let's see that next principle, uh, number 27. Uh, and these, re- these are principles that our founders used to establish this country that really changed the world. Principle 27 says the burden of debt is destructive to human freedom, as is subjugation by conquest. That the excessive debt that we carry at, not only at a personal level, but at a national level is, almost, is, is equivalent to, you know, let's say China coming in and invading us. That, you know, when we owe our creditors or we get so used to, you know, stimu- stimulus money that um, it feels like bondage when it is taken away from us because we don't know what to do now. We, we don't know how to take care of ourselves uh, or or when we get in personal debt, our debt becomes our master. It becomes, uh, uh, you know, like bondage to us because it limits our ability and freedom to live uh the life that, that we desire. And so, um, lastly, my dear, my dear mamas, I'm always just a clipping away here. Hopefully I'm aware of the time. We're almost done. Um, the last article in uh, the supplemental material talks about uh, what we can do as families to become more self-reliant. So let's, if you have your manual, let's turn to that ideas for becoming self-reliant now, our founding fathers knew that home and family life would set the tempo for society. That's principle 26 strong families equal strong societies equal strong nations. And so they knew that when you had a strong and peaceful you know, family relationships, that you would have strong and peaceful societies and, and ultimately nations, that when the families are prepared and work together to become self reliant, the entire nation benefits. So in this little article, it gives some ideas about ways that we can become more self-reliant. We can create basic first aid kits. We can prepare a 72-hour kit. If we had to leave our home and get in our car, we would have three days of um, supplies to see us through. Try to experiment with food items that have a long shelf life. I've actually buy cans um, uh, that have a 30-year shelf life. And I will try from time to time to use some of those ingredients. So I know how to use, you know, the wheat, the rice, the dried goods, Um, start a garden. I know during COVID, a lot of us did that. Avoid debt or maybe make this the year 2022 to really knock away at our debt and to use a budget, have cash reserves. I think Mr. Dave Ramsey says you should have, $1,000 a thousand dollars of cash in your home and three three months of salary. I could be off on that. Begin a food storage program, just like God admonished the Egyptians to store up food for you know future unexpected famines. So, Bib, let's see the next slide. I was so proud of the garden that we grew uh, during COVID. Uh, we got those kids out there. We have an ancestral home that uh, we have inherited. Grandpa's on the tractor, there's that 17 year old kid, you know, learning from grandpa and and daddy teaching, you know, the youngest to plant and look, there's some of the fruits of our vine, our tomatoes, I think, do I have one more round of slides of, um, oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm so proud of my zucchinis, I I was, I had zucchinis coming out of my, you know, head (laughs) and our little carrots and, and that was so powerful to teach our children how to actually grow food and to eat our own food. I was so grateful for that experience. Okay, so uh, we we're come to the conclusion, Viv. What's our last uh, slide? I think one more. So there's a quote in the book that I like from J.R. Tolkien. He says, I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. Are you familiar with these characters, mamas? I'm, I'm not too familiar. <laughs> lord Lord of the rings or something like that Uh, but anyway so do i said gandalf and so do all who live to see such times this is how we're feeling right now but that is not for them to decide all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us and so you know we are living at this time and uh we have to decide how we're going to prepare and what kind of example we're going to set for our children. If we're going to stand up and speak out and, and, and resist maybe the handouts that are being given to us and are and wanting our children uh, to learn to work and not just be taken care of by us or by others. And lastly, we'll have the last quote, Viv, by Thomas Paine, that great patriot, who says, these are the times. It's like he's writing for us today. He's speaking to us from the grave, mamas and grandmothers. These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will in this crisis shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands by it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny like hell is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consultation with us that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. And I believe all the handouts and the checks and everything that programs that we get, we don't value it the way it should be valued because we haven't worked for it. And we're not as wise uh, or good as stewards about things that we attain too cheaply we esteem too lightly it is dearness only that gives everything its value heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods and it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be should not be highly rated and so mamas as we Come to the end of our lesson today. I do love that little quote uh, that says, if everyone would just sweep their own porches, the whole town would would be clean. If we could learn to take care of ourselves, our homes, our finances, our health, the whole nation would thrive. If we can become good stewards over the fruits of our work and our labors and the things that God has blessed us with, he will continue to help us to meet our needs and to gain prosperity, but liberty truly does mean responsibility. It does mean rolling up our sleeves and making the sacrifice and going without so that we can lay in and not go into debt. So I would really encourage you as we go into this new year, as you assess your goals, you know, what goals can we do? can we make to be better prepared for difficult storms or famines ahead? How can we prepare our children not to have this entitlement mentality or you know want to be a ward of the state? I'll just have I'll just let the government tell me when I can come out of my house and you know how, how to live and how to take care of my health. Uh, uh, and so I would I would put that out to you to make that a matter of prayer. How you can become more self reliant, and how you can teach your children uh, to be as well. So, Mamas, next week, woo, we've got our last lesson teaching uh, raising up the next gen, our next generation as patriots. How do we raise up this next generation as as patriots? It's not going to just happen accidentally, they're going to be patriots. There's some specific things that we need to begin to do.